welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and today's episode is brought to you by NetHealth. So NetHealth is teaming up with Photo, which is focused on therapeutic outcomes, for the Clinical Outcomes Summit. It's October 23rd to the 25th in Knoxville, Tennessee, and it's all about outcomes. So aside from having the power to influence better patient results, you have the right data to assess clinic performance, oversee quality, assess and mentor clinicians, understand patient sentiment, and market to referring physicians. In other words, it helps your bottom line to know your outcomes. So healthy, wealthy, and smart podcast listeners get a steep discount on the registration. The full summit pass is only $150. All you have to do is go to www.outcomesnerd.com and use the discount code LITZY. And next week, we have a huge announcement concerning the Clinical Outcomes Summit. So stay tuned and tune into any of our podcasts next week, and you will hear what the big news is about the Clinical Outcomes Summit, which again is October 23rd to the 25th in Knoxville, Tennessee. All right, on to today's episode. Dr. Shannon Sepulveda is back. So Shannon is the owner and physical therapist at Shannon Sepulveda DPT PLLC. She's an orthopedic and women's health physical therapist and is currently the only board certified women's health physical therapist in Montana. So I love when Shannon comes on because she interviews uh, people in the pelvic health uh, area and because she is an expert, these conversations are really, really good and today is no different. So today Shannon is interviewing Dr. Tamara Rial. She earned a dual bachelor's degree in exercise science and physical education, a master's degree in exercise science and a doctorate with international distinction from the University of Vigo in Spain. Her dissertation focused on the effects of hypopressive exercise on women's health. She is also a certified specialist in special populations. She is the creator and co-founder of Low Pressure Fitness, which is an exercise training program based on hypopressive myofascial and neurodynamic techniques. The program was awarded Best Exercise Program by Agazekti. I don't know, I'm saying that completely wrong, a leading sports Management Association in Spain. Dr. Rial is the creative director and professional educator for Low Pressure Fitness. And at present, over 2,000 health and fitness professionals from around the world are certified in low pressure fitness trainers. So she is also a professor of pelvic floor rehabilitation in Barcelona, Spain, author of several scientific articles and books about hypopressive exercise. She and Shannon go get into it in this episode. So they talk about what are hypopressive exercises, patient populations that would benefit, the latest research on the mechanisms of hype and effects of hypopressive exercise, and common criticisms of hypopressive exercise. So they go into the research, or as Dr. Rial puts it, the lack thereof, of a lot of this research, and how you have to be smart when applying these techniques with your patients. So I really appreciated this conversation between Shannon and Tamara. And I want to thank both of them for taking the time out to record this podcast. So everyone, please enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast. I'm your guest host, Shannon Sepulveda, and I am here with Tamara Rial. 
Hi. Hi. <laughs> Tamara, can you tell us a bit about who you are and what you do? Well, uh, we met. We're going to introduce a little bit how we met yes. because Shannon came to our high impressive course that we hosted in Portland with Public Guru, right? Mm -hmm. So I like to call myself a, a high impressive expert. I've been studying and practicing and teaching this technique for over 10 years. And I did my PhD based on hypopressives and its effect on urinary incontinence. And then I began teaching uh, this technique to professionals and also to practitioners. And well, I, I happened to live in Spain also almost all my life and they do my work there. And also I have been a professor in the University of Vigo in Spain. But two years ago, I came to United States because I, made, I married uh, my husband, who happens to be American, American, and we moved into New Jersey, and that's where I currently live. Well, can you tell us a bit about what hypopressives are and what low-pressure fitness is? Because I would assume the majority of the audience has no idea what that is. I think some of us public health PTs know and some other people in the world, but it's all the rage in Spain. Um, so tell us about what it is. Yeah, I, I understand because this this word hypo, hypopressive, hypertensive, and some people kind of listen to this word for the first time. So if we look at the etymology of hyperpressure, really what it means, or hypopressive, it's hypo-less pressure pressure, of course, so it's an exercise that reduces pressure, specifically uh, intra-abdominal pressure, intra-abdominal pressure and intra-thoracic pressure. So normally we call the hypopressive exercise as a form of exercising with different postural cues and different poses throughout uh, a specific mechanism of breathing. And the general name of these exercises was uh, named after that reduction in pressure that we have observed after doing these poses combined with uh, the specific hypopressive um, breathing technique also. So yes, I know that sometimes it's quite uh, hard to understand, but the name and especially in, in some, some countries or for those people who are not familiar with the pelvic PT area, but, but it, will, it will be the name given to a form of exercise, right? Mm -hmm. So can you talk a bit about what you mean by poses and then what you mean about the breathing technique? Right. Well, hyperpressive exercises are also known as hi the hyperpressive technique. Is that is as I as I said, it's a form of exercise that is mainly postural and breathing driven. So I also like to say that it's a mind body kind of technique because it it, it is based on low intensity poses that can resemble a little bit of of the kind of poses we would do in Pilates exercise or also in yoga. Many yoga instructors will find that many of those uh, 
poses and breathing techniques are very similar to the, of the ones they also practice. So the, the, the postural technique of hyperpressives is basically a one that, that it aims to do a postural correction, a postural correction and a more body awareness. Like how is our, our spine, uh, how, do we, how do we activate our pelvic girdle, how do we activate our pelvic uh, and abdominal muscles, our shoulder girdle. So we would focus a lot on body awareness, as I said, and on postural re-education making the person aware of how they, they stabilize their spine, how we stabilize their body. And from there, we would progress the exercise from a more static poses. And then from there, going to a dynamic postural uh, position. And then the breathing exercise uh, is mainly the technique made up of lateral costal breathing that is also practiced in Pilates and also by a form of exercise that is also called the Udiyana Bandha technique. So this is a pranayama, a yoga pranayama that we use in hyperpressive and we call it the hyperpressive breathing, but it's a Udiyana Bandha technique. So it's a very noticeable and visible technique but you, because when you practice it, you see how the abdomen draws in and the thorax expands. And, and sometimes people uh, confuse it with a hollowing or abdominal vacuum hollowing because doing, when you're doing a ba- abdominal hollowing, you see how the belly bottom draws in and there is an actual a little scoop in your abdomen, right? Mm-hmm. But really, when you're doing a, a abdominal vacuum or a Udiyana Banda or a hyperpressive breathing technique, what is happening is that you're actually opening your rib cage throughout a breath holding maneuver. So that means you expel all the air or you expel the current volume of air you have in your lungs. And then after that, you open your rib cage. And that will lead to a observable and very noticeable draw in of your abdomen. It's, it's gonna be even more noticeable that the actual abdominal hollowing maneuver. Mm-hmm. Why? Because the rib cage opens and lifts, and that's gonna draw in the abdomen and, and, and create this vacuum. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we call in yoga Udiyana Banda, which is a they, uh, which is a pranayama. They mm-hmm. they they are yoga teachers and some practitioners may be also aware of. Mm-hmm. And the combination of this type of breathing in a sequence with different poses that the instructor no- normally uh, progresses the person through is this form of exercise, the low pressure fitness technique. That's awesome. Um, So let's talk about who can benefit from this form of exercise, because I, I, I think that it's become really popular in the pelvic organ prolapse community and the urinary incontinence community, but then we also had a bodybuilder in our class because she needs to learn these poses for her bodybuilding. And we also learned about other types of athletes, in particular in Spain, that use this technique to help with their sport. 
Right. So could you talk about like who can benefit from this? Right. That's a great question. Well, hyperpressives uh, at the beginning were, as you uh, correctly said, were especially aimed for the postnatal woman. Um, so I, especially after giving birth, women began to to have some urinary incontinence, and many women develop some type of prolapse, and also they want to rehab their my, uh, mommy tummy. Mm-hmm. So the, the the application of this type of exercises that reduce their waistline and also reduce pressure, especially at the first weeks after giving a birth, were 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 especially in France and in Belgium, the exercise that they were doing and performing. And, uh, and from France and from Spain, this exercise began to get uh, more popular. And I, th- I think almost all uh, postnatal women do this time kind of routine. And pelvic floor physiotherapists and also midwives and doulas uh, recommend and, and teach this kind of exercises in the postnatal uh, phase. So that's why I think it got very popular. But it's true that many other people and at the beginning I wasn't very aware of it because I also began focusing a lot in urinary incontinence because Mm -hmm. I thought that uh, we're dealing with pressure right so this thought of I want to I want to reduce pressure so it will it will benefit those women or those people who have some type of issue related with increase or dynamic of pressure. So the ones that always come come to mind are what? Stress, urinary incontinence, Mm -hmm. and pelvic organ prolapse. But there are other pressure issues that can go, that people can deal around. And in the women's health community, we are very aware of of constipation mm-hmm. uh, because it, it could also lead to uh, constipation and the way we breathe and we pr- and then we push when we go to the bathroom can also lead to some symptomatology so they we have seen that people who uh, incorporate hypopressive breathing and also a hypopressive technique from a regular basis and have constipation issues can benefit. Mm-hmm. And also there has been some some research done on pelvic who suffer non-specific a, a non-specific lower back pain mm-hmm. and who have shown good results doing a basic series of exercises because many people ask okay what are the what are the exercises are they doing a lot of uh, complex exercise or are they doing dynamic no the basic routine for example in the course we we learn the basic normal static exercises and the in the easiest Vacuum. Mm-hmm. That means a a vacuum that is performed with a low up low breath breath holdings mm-hmm. only between six or ten seconds, and also very easy poses that almost anybody can do in a standing position, in a sitting, and a kneeling. So really, you don't have to be a gymnast to <laughs> perform it, and and even our elderly and our 
and people with any type of uh, movement issues or even people who are in, in wheelchairs can also perform it because really the, the exercise is very easy. It's based on breathing, control of your breathing, and control of your pose. So specifically, we, we begin to see that not only the women's health a community could benefit from hyperpressive, but also people suffering, as I said, with a constipation, low back pain. And then there's has been in increasing a application of, of this type of training from an aesthetic point of view. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it, doing, doing this type of exercise, the transverse abdominis muscle gets coactivated. And, and when you see the, the abdominal vacuum maneuver, you can see that really the transverse and all the abdominal muscles have this corset effect. There's a visible waistline reduction. Mm-hmm. So that waistline reduction is visible during the exercise, but after two or three months of continuous practice, that means doing two or three sessions of 30 minutes over a period of three months, mm-hmm. you can observe a statistical a reduction, yeah, significant mm-hmm. statistical reductions in waistline. A, we're talking about between two centimeters of mm-hmm. average uh, or to, 2.5 between 3.5, mm-hmm. right? So that would be the average of waistline reduction. So for people who really want to reduce their waistline mm-hmm. because they want to look better or they are or they're doing a competition for bodybuilding for example they they are really want to find exercises that can that can achieve a waistline reduction without only thinking of course we all we all have to think about our food intake mm-hmm. and our caloric expenditure mm-hmm. but when all those variables are taken in account and you also want to want to work on your natural corset that means your mm-hmm. abdominal muscles we all know that we have to train our core mm-hmm. But we can train our core in different ways. And one way that we have seen that also can be an alternative to normal or traditional core training methods is also, is also the stomach vacuum or the abdominal vacuum or the hyperpressive technique. In fact, it's funny to observe that in the bodybuilding in the community, they have a pose uh, that they execute that is called the stomach vacuum pose. <laughs> and this stomach vacuum pose was uh, popularized by Arnold Schwarzenegger in 1970s. There are, many, there are some pictures of him that if you go to the internet and you put in the internet stomach vacuum pose, you can really see how he had a great... He, I think he's the king of the stomach vacuum. <laughs> and he really popularized it because a, when he would go on stage, he would want to show his serratus. So a, a way to show the great development or the mass development of his serratus would be going into a big ribcage expansion, lifting his arms behind his head and just pulling in his stomach throughout this abdominal vacuum technique that is really hypopressive. So he even wrote in his bodybuilding encyclopedia, he wrote that he usually trained this technique 
to achieve a waistline reduction. And if you see his body, it was amazing. He really had a very thin waistline and a big thorax. And now bodybuilders nowadays, they're they're well, at least what they are seeing is they're they're getting they're having trouble in in getting a great lat spread and a great big thorax and and in comparison have a very very thin waistline so that's why now we're recovering a little bit this knowledge that he brought us in the 1970s and it seems that now more bodybuilders are being aware of doing this type of a stomach vacuum exercises and even in spain the the federation of bodybuilding has uh, included the stomach vacuum pose again as compulsory <laughs> in the um, for the male competition, which is kind of cool, and and that's why I, I think it was two years ago, and, and we began to see a great demand of bodybuilders to come to our classes to mm -hmm. learn o only from aesthetic purposes to learn the technique because. It's not easy. It's not easy to be on stage, hold your breath, be smiling, and at the same time, hold your breath for 10 seconds when you're already very tired, and open, open your ribs and show that stomach vacuum. So you really have to train it. And in, in, in our in our bodybuilder, she that came to the course, she is amazing. Of course, she was absolutely gorgeous, but she wanted to work a little bit more on her stomach vacuum pose. Yeah. 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 She told me that that may be the difference. Like it, it like she's like, I need to learn this. And I was like, wow, that's, I didn't even think about that. And then you, when you showed us the pictures of Arnold Schwarzenegger, I was like, oh, yeah. I mean, I remember seeing them as a kid, but I was like, oh, it totally is a stomach vacuum. Right. And so it, it, it's, it's, I think it's really fun when you have um, all sorts of people from different backgrounds in the courses because it's just fun to talk to them and pick their brains and see like why they're here. So I thought that was that was really cool. Yes. Um, and how different people from different uh, areas, mm -hmm. uh, from fitness professionals, from women's health, from even massage therapists, it can can have a common link. There was also in the course we had uh, several yoga instructors. Mm -hmm. Mm, because I guess it also makes sense to incorporate a, a technique that has so much in common with already yoga. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell us a bit about your research and your education and your um, PhD work? Okay, yes. So as I said, um, um, I'm a Spanish, and I think some of our listeners have noticed that I have a little accent. <laughs> well, say... And yeah, I've 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 grew up in Spain. I did my my education, all of it over there. I also did my did um, a semester in the University of Porto, part of my PhD in the laboratory of cine anthropometry with the professor Rui Garganta. But my main focus was always a pilates and some type of mind exercise mind body exercises on women's health so i began to get interested in this because i've i've seen at least in spain it wasn't a women's health was wasn't a topic that was that was taught 
so much in the physical education and fitness community. We were talking about the benefits of exercise for health, but we weren't looking so much at the benefits of exercise also for women's health and how some type of um, techniques and pelvic floor muscle training could also benefit a lot mainly females and males who have some type of dysfunction. And we really had to bring this knowledge into the physical education, to the exercise science community, and into the gyms. And I also think into the women's community because sometimes there's a, well, I, I, I really think there's a still a great taboo talking about women's health issues. So maybe it would be easier if we begin to talk about it in an easy way from the gyms and bring this topic into the fitness instructors so they would bring more awareness and also the coaches into the sports community. And that way make aware to our, our women and our males that there is option to recover and there's options to take care of your pelvic floor and your health with exercise and correct movements and how just by breathing you can affect immensely your pelvic floor health because we are not aware of how we breathe, breath, how we how we are standing. Now our listeners, they're maybe they're sitting, they're in the car, they're walking, but are we taking our time, are we looking inwards and are we feeling our, our, our breath, are we feeling our body? So all those things I thought we, I had to bring it into the, the, yeah, the fitness community and that's why I really wanted to focus on how some type of mind-body techniques could impact urinary incontinence and at that time hypopresis was not a very famous thing in Spain. I think it was not famous nothing. Maybe some pelvic floor PTs who had been taught in, in France know a little bit about it, mm -hmm. but really it wasn't a big thing. So I learned about it from Marcel Coffre, who was one of the, the main people and teachers who begin to get interested in this topic. So I, I thought, why don't I do a, a research study on this, on urinary incontinence? And I remember at the beginning, it was hard because imagine telling your doctoral advisor that you want to do a study on women. <laughs> That's kind of, okay, I'm focusing on women. And then say, I want to focus on urinary incontinence. So I'm getting more specific. And then I said, I'm going to assess the effects of hyperpressive exercise. And when I said this word, it was like, what is this? <laughs> and we went into the literature and there was nothing in the literature. Mm -hmm. Nothing at that time. And right now there's still nothing. Okay, okay, there's still nothing. <laughs> but at that time there was... There was negative zero. <laughs> and it was, it was kind of hard because what is the basis? There is almost no basis. Mm -hmm. And I knew, I knew I took a risk, but I began to apply it on myself and I began to apply it on, on some, some practitioners. And they were they, I, I saw results very quickly. And they were telling me, even after three sessions, that they already were feeling a decrease in their urinary symptoms. And they were, and I was 
was even shocked because at that time I didn't believe it. I was mm-hmm. still one. I was one of the skepticals. <laughs> I, that's a little bit the reason why I said I want to study this to prove it's not working. <laughs> but when people begin to already tell me, you know, I feel great, and I begin to see how our how women were enthusiastic about it. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, I really had to give it a chance, and that's how I got pa- I'm really passionate now about it. And people say, Tamar, you're very passionate. Well, I, I think the people who, who I work with made me passionate, because whenever I see the, that somebody can benefit from what I'm teaching, that makes me happy, and that makes me really think that maybe I'm, if I'm making somebody better, I'm helping in some sort of way, I think that's how I've been driven to keep on in this path. And also, because I wanted to make it more an evidence-based or, or, um, or a technique that would have more support, because I, at the beginning, I would, I would hear people say, hyperpressive does this or hyperpressive does this, but there was no... There was no basis behind that. Even sometimes the physiological description of the exercise was wrong. Mm-hmm. And people were very assertive. Like people would say, hyperpressive does this to the body, or you can achieve this whatever. But what is the research? Like what is the what is the even the physiological mechanism which explains that? Mm-hmm. And and there was very contradictory um, explanations in the literature because I guess uh, yeah nobody has really wanted to dive into it and study it for to to show that maybe it's correct or not is correct because I even at the beginning thought that maybe intra-abdominal pressure doesn't doesn't increase or, or maybe it decrease we still don't know mm-hmm. we still don't don't know what is happening in the thoracic level so we cannot just assume things if you really don't study it and I think that was the big mistake with hyperpressives we people got excited and they began to say there's this new thing called hyperpressives let's let's fantastic and blah 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 but you cannot put something out in the market and say it it is great without without really having having to first apply it with real people, assess it in a clinical way, and then begin to to do some short-term studies or some physiological studies. That means, for example, if, you're, if you argue that there's a decrease in pelvic pressure, you have to assess it. You cannot say it without even assessing maybe not 200 people, but at least a group of people. And then from there, we, sh- we would have to see if there is some type of chronic effects. We still don't have a research that really shows many claims that people say. So those are lacking in the literature. So we always have to be cautious and, and, and see, you know, we don't know. We don't know. There, there seems there, there. People are getting some good benefits, 
uh, and they're claiming that they they're feeling better for example they're feeling more postural rehabilitation or they feel their their uh, breathing capacity has increased but that's anecdotal evidence and we have to prove that with more randomized trials right so um, that's a little bit how I started. I got interested in it, and I'm and I'm still I'm still working with it and teaching. I came to United States and I did my my first courses through Herman and Wallace, Public Rehabilitation Institute, and also mm-hmm. through Public Guru. Mm-hmm. That were the first people who trusted me in the United <laughs> States, <laughs> and. And they, they, they led their hand, and they, they, they began also to hear from some public floor uh, practitioners who in the United States who were already uh, working with this. And I guess there, were the, there was a little bit of spread of the word. And that's why I think in the United States some people began to get interested in it. And now... Now let's let's just see how it works, and hopefully, more more universities can open new lines of research on this topic. Because I think women's health and pelvic health, although if we focus a lot on urinary incontinence and pelvic organ, there are many other issues that have not been so much addressed, like a hypertonicity, a pelvic floor dysfunctions public pain so there's still a lot of research we can do and I think also the area of alternative movement exercises for example yoga Mm -hmm. and even pilates Mm -hmm. that there should be more more interested in it because our women and our people our population we need to move we need to do exercise and we really when there is a pelvic condition many women are afraid of moving and doing exercise and i don't think it's good to tell a woman eh, or to tell a postnatal mom you know you have to be careful don't eh, lift weights or or don't do this exercise or don't do curl-ups so are, I feel that sometimes we're frightening too much our woman. And there and instead of going to the gym or maybe sometimes you can have a leakage and you say, Oh, I'm a little embarrassed because I'm leaking during my CrossFit activity, but I love going to CrossFit. So maybe I can also complement my activity with other more pelvic floor friendly programs or with some programs that kind of counterbalance that high intensity activity. I kind of, I sometimes say that a low pressure or hyperpressives are the best friends of high impact activities because we have, we have the metabolic benefits of a high intensity interval training what which is which has a great background of research that shows that is one of the best type of training for many metabolic conditions for our cardiovascular health so we want people and we need people to be doing their physical exercise and on that note we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor and we'll be right back Let's talk about something important, patients and their outcomes. If you love to nerd out on this kind of talk like I do, the best industry event around outcomes management is happening from October 23rd to the 25th, and it's the Clinical Outcomes Summit. 
It's hosted by Photo, but it's not just for photo clients. It's a gathering of everyone who believes in the power of outcomes management to drive change for patients, clinicians, practices, and payers. And the best part, healthy, wealthy, and smart podcast listeners get a steep discount on the registration. The full summit pass is only $150. At that rate, go ahead and bring your entire team. Go to www.outcomesnerd.com and use the discount code LITZY. That's L-I-T-Z-Y. Hope to see you there. Okay, so um, we learned about some awesome new research in the course, so can you share that with us? Yes, well, we, we, we still didn't know until some weeks ago what was happening in the diaphragm because it's true that when you do the abdominal breathing maneuver, the hypopressive maneuver, you're actually opening your rib cage and you're holding your breath. So it was hypothesized that because you're using your inspiratory muscles to hold and expand your rib cage, the diaphragm, what is happening, raises up, right? Mm -hmm. So imagine when you breathe in, your diaphragm it goes down, contracts, and lowers and lowers its position and also the pelvic floor because the movement of the breathing and the synergy of the diaphragm, the pelvic floor diaphragm is synergistically, right? Mm -hmm. So then when you exhale, the diaphragm raises up and also the pelvic floor contracts and raises. So when, when you're doing this hyperpressive maneuver, what is happening is you're opening your rib cage and you're allowing to your diaphragm to raise up a little bit more. So that means that it achieves a little bit of higher position than when you're only exhaling because it's kind of a stretch of the diaphragm. Mm -hmm. But the question was, well, but what happens? Because we have some studies that have shown through ultrasounds and MRIs that when you're doing this hypopressive breathing, there is a pelvic lift, right? Mm -hmm. There's a raise of the pelvic floor and also the bladder and the uterus. So this is something you can uh, actually see and in the course we also see it with ultrasound measurements. But it's difficult to have an ultrasound measurement of the diaphragm. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> and also it's, it's difficult to assess the pressure in your in your esophagus or in, mm -hmm. in your in your abdomen because that would have to be through a more difficult assessment that normally in the pelvic settings we don't have. Mm -hmm. so, so normally if we want to assess in a pelvic floor or physical therapy setting or a, a, the, the pressure, we can use intrarectal devices or intravaginal devices and that way, when we're doing different type of maneuvers, we can assess what's happening, right? So when you're doing the maneuver, what happens with hyperpressives is there's gonna be a decrease of intrarectal pressure, intracolon, and also vaginal, right? Mm -hmm. If you're performing the exercise with a correct form. And I always like to say, and, it's, and make it specific, that it's not something that you can achieve the first day of practice, you have to, and know to how to correctly perform the technique as well as we teach how to correctly perform a, a pelvic floor muscle contraction to enable the pelvic floor muscle to really lift and contract and not to, for example, bulge. Mm -hmm. That can happen if, if the technique is not correctly performed or if the breathing phase doesn't, accomp doesn't accompany 
the, the contraction. So in the same way, when we're doing a hypopressive maneuver, what would happen is that we would exhale first, and then after that exhalation, we would hold our breath, and we would only perform a voluntary muscle contraction of our rib cage muscles. Mm -hmm. So the question is, the diaphragm, what happens? Is it very relaxed? Is it very contracted? Is it not? So um, Trista Sin, which is my colleague and, and one of my friends, uh, who I've been working also uh, very closely, and, and she teaches courses over there in Canada, Hypopressive Canada. Mm -hmm. So um, she actually flew to Vancouver because there's a research group there who is gonna uh, who is gonna assess actually with a group <laughs> of hyper people who are gonna do hypopressives, and I can't I can't recall right now his name, but he's a PhD okay. candidate mm -hmm. who is uh, looking forward to do his PhD on on the effects of a hypopressive technique on the EMG activation of the diaphragm and also into the um, the pressure management intra yeah. intrathoracic pressure so we've got the 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 we will call it the pilot testing <laughs> and they, we they did it on trista scene because trista is a very good practitioner she already mm -hmm. knows how to do the technique and i know that not everybody wants to introduce a catheter and catheter, swat a, a nasal catheter so like a tube that goes down your nose into your oh my gosh yeah, yeah. so it's it's not, it's not one of those research that uh, everybody <laughs> would would want to to want to do yeah so she did it and and we have the preliminary results that I can I can read you some of them and she also did different poses so mm -hmm. she did the analysis in the standing pose, okay. which was more easier to assess. Mm -hmm. Also, in kneeling, okay. because you don't have to move your face or you're not in all on fours, where sometimes you can change the position of the catheter. Yeah. And and also, supine was an easy pose. Mm -hmm. So the, that's the assessment. And and there actually was uh, electromyographic activity shown in the diaphragm, mm -hmm. which would make sense because the diaphragm cannot relax. So there's a quite of lengthening and activity going on, even mm -hmm. even if you're doing the breath holding, a maneuver. So I guess that when the results on the group they're going to test on the yeah. trial, we will get to know more of really what happens not when you're doing actually the technique but what you what would happen what chronic effects would have your intercostal your breathing muscles and also your diaphragm mm -hmm. when you're doing this kind of vacuum technique and also uh, what happens into the pressure so we would we they were able to show that there is a reduction the reduction in intrathoracic pressure and intra-abdominal pressure, hmm. which is kind of cool. That's pretty cool. Because at least now you can say that it makes sense to call it hypopressure. Hypopressure, <laughs> <Right? laughs> yeah. So, so well, that's, that's, that's the thing. And also, when you're doing 
hypopressives, the thing is that you're you're lifting your rib cage mm -hmm. and you're using your breathing muscles. So, for mm -hmm. example, the SCM muscle increases its electromyographical electromyographic activity because it's all it has it 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 enables the the rib cage to lift right mm -hmm. so whenever you're doing a hyperpressure you will really actually see that lift of the rib cage and also the widening of your of your intercostal mm -hmm. rib cages all the rib cage actually opens so also the serratus is a muscle that is also going to increase its, its electromyographic activity a mm -hmm. lot right and there has been another group from Brazil that actually did a, um, not a chronic study, but they did an, an acute study that they assessed the electromyographic activity of the abdominal muscles. So transverse, oblique, and internal oblique. They did it through superficial electromyographic activity. Uh -huh. And it was with some female practitioners they were healthy there were no pelvic floor dysfunction just testing when you're doing the vacuum what actually happens in the core muscles mm -hmm. because some people think that when you're doing a hypopressive maybe there's a high electromyographic activity but really you're not doing a, a, a active contraction for example mm -hmm. if you do a, a crunch exercise or you actually contract forcefully your abdomen you will have a very high electromyographic activity. But because what you're doing is just having a stabilizing pose, mm -hmm. a pose that, that, that makes your spine grow and you're actually doing a, a low intensity mm -hmm. postural activity and you're opening your rib cage mm -hmm. in, your, in your muscles, there's not gonna be such a high activity. There okay. is an increase of activity, but not so much on the rectus abdominis and the external oblique as much as there is in the transverse and in the obliques. Okay. So if we want, so that's why it's especially indicated for people who need a rehabilitation of their deep inner unit mm -hmm. and not so much of the outer unit. Mm -hmm. So especially in the first rehab um, phases, mm -hmm. for example, for those with lumbar pain and we want to achieve a, a greater um, mind-body connection of your deep uh, core muscles or mm -hmm. we want to uh, connect that transfer in the pelvic floor, this could be a technique that we could use, for example. Cool. Yeah, so especially more indicated for uh, our deep system. And then from there we can build on a more dynamic exercise that will recruit the larger muscles and and the yeah the larger dynamic muscles. Cool, that's awesome. Thank you so much um, for that explanation of the new cutting edge research. I think that's that's awesome. Um, in in my experience, it seems like there's a little bit of controversy surrounding hyperpressives and low pressure fitness, where some women's health people are like yes and some women's health people are like no and in my opinion not that it means anything but my opinion about something like this is if it works for somebody and there's no harm in it then why then what's the problem because it's not like we're causing any harm with any of this and so if it's a tool in your toolbox and it works for certain women what's the harm yeah because really there is none 
And so why not try it? Um, But I just wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, what, what's going on in the, I mean, I feel like hypopressives are so hot right now. It's kind of like diastasis is just so hot right now. And it's the new buzzword, I think, Ah. in women's health physical therapy. So, but there's been, you know, people are like it, people don't, I don't really know. But what, what's your take on all yeah, of that? Yeah, there has actually been a lot of controversy <laughs> and, and even a lot of controversy in the, in the scientific literature because I think it was last year a, there has been a, a, a discussion paper published by Carrie Bowen, uh, a researcher from Spain, a, on hyperpressive saying that there wasn't enough evidence to support that hyperpressive could be an alternative exercise for women with pelvic organ prolapse. So they based their, their, their discussion paper and their results on, on the articles that a Brazilian group has published on this topic. So I wrote a letter to the editor and it was published on the British Journal of Sports Medicine blog. It's available, mm-hmm. and they had also a reply. So it's kind of funny when you <laughs> begin to have these replies. So the, there has been a lot of controversy even in this field because, as 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 I said before, it's true that there has not been a lot of research. And for example, there are studies that have been published uh, from the the Brazilian groups of Stupidal or Sendedal. They have done um, some studies on, on women with prolapse that we can find uh, on PubMed with the word hypopressive. But um, my, my argument and my counter argument in the letter, in the response to the letter to the editor that is available, as you said, in British Journal of Sports Medicine, you can read it, uh, is that the thing in, is when we are applying a technique and especially a technique as hypopressives that is first difficult to teach difficult to especially properly perform if there is not a good instruction and supervision that means that first we have to assess if the person is correctly performing the exercise as well as anything as well as pelvic floor muscle training, we would teach first how to do an optimal pelvic floor muscle contraction before beginning the trial. We have to perform or assure that the person who is really doing that vacuum is actually doing a vacuum. And if the form is correct, that means does that person do a vacuum that is really lowering the pressure? Is that person really in the correct positioning or does that person need a little bit more of supervision of somebody who really knows how to correct and see if the pose is correct the arms is the breathing uh, so in the description in the papers and you can read the paper they they don't they don't describe the exercise as a form of different postural exercises they only describe that they performed on a technique where there is an abdominal contraction, mm-hmm. a transverse abdominal contraction. Mm-hmm. But that is that you don't really know if they have been doing the whole series of exercise mm-hmm. as this has been described in the literature because hyperpressives are currently described the technique as a postural based and a breathing base. So 
that's that was my critique mm -hmm. that you're basing your argument on on the low number of a uh, research that is still available and on research that doesn't describe quite maybe let's use the word accurately as other manuals and other professionals and other also because we can see other research coming from other groups that are already doing the and describing the technique and this happens a lot in exercise science and physical therapy huh. whenever we're using exercise techniques that involve a lot of supervision and technical instructions we have to be very clear and describing the technique that means how many repetitions did you do they how many rest breaths how many seconds did you rest between exercise and exercise because we know that changing one little variable can change the whole exercise. Mm -hmm. and, it, and even when it comes to breathing exercise, we have to very accurate, accurately describe the time. That means, for example, you're breathing in, how many seconds? You're breathing out, what way? You're breathing out doing a forced exhalation or you're breathing out doing a, a more relaxed maneuver? Are you, are you for example, doing a more intercostal breathing or are you doing a more diaphragmatic breathing using you know there's mm -hmm. so many different aspects that if we really don't describe how is the technique it's going to be more difficult to replicate that and more and it's going to create even more a controversy a between the readers or the listeners because we really don't know what the technique is about. Mm -hmm. And many times eh, we see a video on YouTube. This is the worst thing you can do <laughs> to learn from YouTube. I know that we all go to YouTube. That's a, whenever I, many of our listeners are now in YouTube looking, at looking up hyperpressive yeah. power. And, they, and there are many people that are doing it, but you can see the person do the exercise, but how do you know if you're really doing what that person is doing? Mm -hmm. uh, maybe you are contracting or you're trying to pull your shoulder up or it's kind of hard and I would never, I, I love watching those yoga videos mm -hmm. and there are some yoga professionals that do amazing exercises. Mm -hmm. But it would be very hard for me to know if I'm doing the exercise correct if I don't have somebody that is telling me, uh, I, I think I think you're doing the, the pose or even when we're instructing pelvic floor muscle training we really have to have somebody that is that is supervising the technique and giving mm -hmm. us advice to progress in the technique so um, I think this has been the first controversy the lack mm -hmm. of research and and the claims mm -hmm. of some gurus mm -hmm. uh, like they is the best exercise for the pelvic floor well that's a huge claim you can never do the, say that and or some people have have also claimed eh, hyperpressives if you do hyperpressives it's much better than kegel well no 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 you can never have those claims because that's going to go against you and mm -hmm. and that's why maybe i think there has been such a bad reputation mm -hmm. and also because maybe there has been a lot of marketing towards that waistline reduction. Mm -hmm. So if people say you're selling it as, as a tool that is only aesthetic, aesthetic, but, but 
Mm. It kind of sounds like a selling thing, right? Mm -hmm. When we want to sell a product only because mm -hmm. it kind of is new. Mm -hmm. But why, what is it, how is it, and are the profession, is it professionally driven, technique driven? Mm -hmm. And that, that, that has been the big, I think, huge controversy in the literature. And, and also between practitioners, right? Oh yeah. And I think also another controversy that I see from my point of view is, is that one of people trying to learn, learn it from, from professionals who learn it from YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If, if, if I'm not sure about it, and I, I would rather not do it. Mm -hmm. or, or if you really want to practice it, I, I always advise people even to exercise under the guidance of professionals. Mm -hmm. And I know that sometimes hiring a, a personal training or hiring or going to a physical therapist once in a while, people can say, it's a waste of time. I think I'm good on my own. But no, even, even us as professionals, mm -hmm. we, like, we should be instructed under the care of other people. Because the, the, the eye of a professional is better than your own eyes. Mm -hmm. And we, we need that supervision, we need to, a planification, and we, we also need an assessment. So maybe when you're under the guidance of a pelvic floor physiotherapist or an instructor, they would, they would assess you and say, you know, maybe we should do other exercise or we should begin with this, but then progress to other, mm -hmm. other faces. And, and talking about progression, the idea that hyperpressives would, would be like the magic pill. No, I, don't, I, I think that would, that's a very wrong message to tell our people because there's nothing that is a magic pill. There, it's a tool in your toolbox. Mm -hmm. So it can be something that you can do to and help you in some part of your life, but then you're gonna progress. And then you're gonna do more things. Because for example, hypopressives is a good, maybe rehabilitative tool, kind of, yeah, kind mm -hmm. of rehabilitation tool. But I, will, I won't think that I'm gonna get better improvements in my cardiovascular health doing hypopressives. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, or for example, I'm not gonna lose weight doing <laughs> hypopressives. That, it's, it, it's not an aerobic driven kind of tool. Mm -hmm. So. If you're beginning to sell a, a technique as something that is the best for everything, or maybe that thing of it reduces waste. So mm -hmm. people say it's because it's because you're losing weight. No, no, mm -hmm. no. It's it's maybe because you're getting a better posture, so then you don't have such a bulge in your abdomen. We all mm -hmm. know it, right? If you have bad posture, your abdomen is gonna bulge more. Yeah. So by having a better posture or by having a bre better breathing habit, mm -hmm. you're gonna uh, help you to have a better abdominal appearance, mm -hmm. right? And then if you tone your inner unit, that will also help. But we will never, never achieve a waistline reduction of our, or a better appearance throughout a loss of weight because there's you almost don't yeah. use a lot of energy. In fact, the, in fact, our, car, our heart rate will even decrease a little, so huh. so not not increase. Yeah, <laughs> that's so interesting. So we still have to do cardiovascular work. Yes, we do. I know. But we can we can then 
counterbalance our running. Mm -hmm. We love to run. I know. I was like, I love to run. And I was like, okay, 20 minutes a day, 10 or 20 minutes a day. Like, I can do this. And it actually felt really good because I'm so tight for running it. And I just lengthened. And it was actually pretty awesome doing it in the class. Yeah, and, and many, many people who perform running or other type of high-intensity activities or aerobic cardiovascular training, they usually do this training, they incorporate it after. Okay. So as a way of cool down. Yeah. So it's a, instead of doing other type of exercise or, or we can incorporate it into our cooling down or even our stretching because mm -hmm. many poses are like our stretching yeah. poses, lying on the floor, stretching in our arms, stretching in our legs. So we just incorporate it and it's 10 minutes. You don't need much. No. You really don't need much. 10 minutes for those that need other 15. Mm -hmm maybe 15 minutes and and i think everybody can find 15 minutes in their day to have some uh, some sort of mind body practice mm -hmm. it's it's we really need it nowadays with so much going on social media yeah well and actually it was interesting i was thinking about why it felt so good and why say i would stick to something like that instead of yoga i've tried yoga before and i was into it but um i think it's because never in my life have I stretched that area. Like it's so hard to stretch your thoracic area, right? right? Like I couldn't, there's no way, or like even my rectus, right? Your your front abdominal muscles, like it's, unless, I mean, you could do up dog to stretch, but it's really hard to lengthen and stretch all of that. So it was like the first time in my life where like those muscles have been <laughs> stretched and it felt really yeah, good because we're stretching from the inside yeah. using our bre breath instead of pressing it down we're, we're, we're pulling it inwards mm -hmm. so that's why maybe the sensation is different I think also the concentration on the on the breathing and the apnea mm -hmm. it gives you a kind of mindful sensation so for many people they they only do it as a mindful practice they're pressing because they're so focused on the breathing it takes you out of your daily worries I think that's what I found too because it gave me something to like focus on <laughs> like I had an, an objective so I, I wasn't thinking about anything else because it's hard to do and so it's also was like a new challenge yes yeah so it was really great and to challenge your breath holding mm -hmm. and to only think as as well as we count we always tell people sometimes when they're breathing to count breathe breath up to one two three so whenever you're counting you're mindful in your present and also we're going to add the beneficial effects of having a slow paced breathing mm -hmm. that's going to down train our nervous system so we're also going to um, help us if we want to just do a mindful or a or a relaxation kind of technique mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And so where can we find you? Email, social media, courses, and do you teach people? Like, where can people find you if they want ah, to get in touch with you? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, as my name is, my name is Tamara Real. So my website is tamarareal.com. Okay. But I'm very active in Instagram. So you can find me as Dr. Real. And I also have another another Instagram account that is specifically only for hyperpressives that is called Hyperpressives Guru because I also I also teach other other 
women's health programs, not only hyperpressive, so I focus also on the female athlete, um, yoga, yoga, public floor friendly exercises. So, um, so you can see all my programs and courses on my website, in my social media, especially on Instagram. And now the courses I'm hosting in the United States are throughout um, Herman and Wallace and also Pelvic Guru. So if we go to the hermanwallace.com website and to Pelvic Guru, we would see there announced all the hyperpressives uh, dash low pressure courses. And my, my, I th I, my contact, Real Tamara, uh, gmail.com. Great. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. A huge thanks to Tamara and to Shannon. What a great conversation on what hypopressive exercises are, what research there is and is not available for them. So I want to thank you guys for a really robust, well-rounded conversation. Hopefully all you listeners got a lot out of that. And of course, I want to thank our sponsor for today's podcast, Net Health. So again, they have teamed up with Photo, Focus on Therapeutic Outcomes, for the Clinical Outcomes Summit, October 23rd to the 25th in Knoxville, Tennessee. It's not just for photo clients. It's a gathering of everyone who believes in the power of outcomes management to drive change for patients, clinicians, practices, and payers. So we're talking about rehab therapy pros from hospitals and private practices that will gather in Knoxville to celebrate, examine, and define outcomes management. Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast listeners get a steep discount. The full summit pass is only $150. So go to www.outcomesnerd.com and use the discount code LITZY, or you can go to podcast.healthywealthysmart.com and click on the link under the show notes for this episode. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.